my elevator speech is I play traditional music for people who don't know they love it yet. Well, I described uh, uh, something to you today because our our mutual friend, I think he, he's certainly my friend, I hope he, I'm certainly he's yours too, Wayne Martin, who was here about three oh, weeks yes. ago. Uh, he collected some music one time and put it together, uh, and it was called Going Down to Raleigh. And, and the, the people who are on that CD are people who would have the same description you did and play the same kind of music that you did. And it's the kind that some of us in rural Missouri and rural North Carolina grew up with, and, and it tended to end up on uh, local radio stations on Saturday, if no other day of the week, in places like Mount Airy and uh, places in the mountains and, and so on. But uh, I just uh, was thinking uh, I would like for you to talk tonight about some of the festivals and, and gatherings that are held in North Carolina and Southern Virginia, places like Calax. And, and in fact, I saw a thing of you on YouTube. It was uh, something on the mound. Uh, where does that take place? I, I couldn't figure out where it took place. Do you know what right, I'm talking about? You say Song of the Mountains? Song of the Mountain, yeah. Um, that is held um, in Marion, Virginia, and it's run by a guy named Tim White. Um, and uh, Tim is a radio uh, DJ and a bluegrass musician, and he promotes um, traditional uh, American music, bluegrass, old time, some country, uh, and they, they work out of a beautiful restored theater, um, the Lincoln Theater there in, um, in Marion, Virginia. That's the and thing that's on public television here in North Carolina on Saturday night. I that's think. right. That's, that's right. Different. And uh, it, it's uh, it's an honor, always an honor to play there. And uh, and Tim Tim is just a he's a he's a great guy. And they they've got it syndicated where folks all around the the country can see authentic, real, traditional music. And that's sort of what um, in the last twenty years. The, the State um, Department of Cultural Re Natural and Cultural Resources, the North Carolina Arts Council, the North Carolina Division of Tourism, all of those good folks have been working to showcase and highlight the rich and, and real traditional culture uh, in North Carolina from, I'm going to turn it around, from Murphy to Manio. Or from any of the Murphy, if you, well, you would. Well, you know, I was talking to you before we came on the air, and you, you had something to do with it there as a book. Uh, yeah, did you say the man's name was Fussell or, or something? Uh, uh, Fussell was the, was the author of the Blue Ridge, um, Blue Ridge Music Trails, um, uh, and it, that was um, a guidebook, uh, a literal guidebook that, that they did with attractions, music, dance, and cultural attractions, um, on you know, in a corridor on either side of the Blue Ridge Parkway. That that was the that was the the keystone that they did uh, was the Blue Ridge Parkway, and lots of lots of great things to do and see. Uh, later on, they did a gardens and uh, countryside trails guidebook. They did a Cherokee heritage uh, guidebook. Um, they they have been working on a a, a blues and, and and gospel trail. In eastern North Carolina, well, you, you, you know, so I don't know music there. You used to work for those people, and I, uh, there is a uh, a kind of guide to uh, African American the African American community's music in eastern North Carolina that yes. uh, you know points out things like 
most of James Brown's backup orchestra came from Kinston, North Carolina, and they're they're Mayfield Parker, right? And they're guys who's great, who have groups who've played, and some of them uh, turned out what we now call beach music and so on. But I also learned that Roberta Flack taught uh, school in I think Farmville for about three or four years before she got a break. You know, uh, she's from Black Mountain, North Carolina. She's from Black Mountain. That's right. Exactly. So there's a there's a that's why I put down by by your name on the schedule music because you <laughs> you you can talk about about any kind of music but I do want to to I I had been thinking uh, about uh, well I won't go into all the things that promoted my thinking about things but I was thinking about uh, the uh, the uh, festival Union Grove uh, and so on and. Uh, I thought, well, there may be some of our native listeners from North Carolina who don't know about that, the richness of history in that area, and something called Merrill Fest, which has become a big deal. And uh, it, it was, was not held, I think, last year, and it's going to be held uh, on a delayed schedule this year. So uh, if we could talk about that when we come back, ladies and gentlemen, if, if you're on the other side of this break, you'll find out about something you'll really enjoy knowing about, and we'll be back to do that in a couple of minutes. We're talking about music tonight and about traditional music. And indeed, probably traditional music was one of the first things that was featured on WPTF. We don't mention it much, but we're in our 97th year now. If we make it to September, we'll have been here 97 years. And and uh, particularly in the South, traditional music was... Uh, something that was on a lot of radio stations. And I know that Joe Newberry, our guest tonight, knows about that, and that's sort of what was behind the, some of the barn dance programs that were on, and the Grand Ole Opry, as a matter of fact, which is, uh, you know, Joe, the Grand Ole Opry is moving in on its 100th anniversary here, and through the pandemic they have been able to keep something on the air every every Saturday night. They sure have. They, you know, uh, going to that big, uh, that big auditorium with hardly anybody in it, Standing on that circle uh, of wood that they they uh, took from the center stage of the Ryman Auditorium, and uh, you know uh, the the fans have really been supportive. And I'll say that as a I'll say that as a, a musician um, here in North Carolina who who I used to take this music uh, all over the country and and overseas as well. You know, and the pandemic meant that I stayed much closer to to home, you know, actually stayed home. And and musicians are adaptable and fans are adaptive, you know, they will they will go with you wherever they need to go with you. And I have had more support and and more um, goodwill from folks. They want you to do well, they'll put up with a little bit of static or the the signal freezing and and even even when you have um, technical difficulties, they'll hang in there, and it's really, it's really been inspiring to to see the support of, of folks for for people making music. Well, does the word on the vine vibrating indicate that the, some of the the stages that you might appear on in the venues and and the and the places that you might go will be a play, will be somewhere that you could go sometime, say within this calendar year. There are there are some venues that are that are, that are opening up. Sadly, there are some venues that that probably will not return. And and uh, um, so 
uh, hopefully, hopefully a number of folks will be able to, to reopen. Uh, and we all want to do it safely, and we want to make sure that everybody um, everybody is is able to to have a, a good experience uh, when when they go see live music. I know that the uh, Pinecone, the Piedmont Council of Traditional Music, have they have planned a summer um, down home series, and it's going to be held uh, in Raleigh's uh, Memorial Auditorium. But it, it the reason it's being held in there is to be able to make sure that there are that the audience members are socially distanced uh, and safe. And uh, but but they've got a they've got a, a really good lineup of of solid traditional um, uh, bluegrass and and old time some old time and some uh, some uh, uh, contemporary uh, uh, acoustic music. It's going to be it's going to be a, a great series, and so we're starting to see things open up. You mentioned Merlefest, and Merlefest is traditionally held the last weekend in April, and they they made the decision last year. They made it fairly early that they were going to not hold Merlefest in April. They're putting it to the weekend of September seventeenth and eighteenth, um, and that way. Uh, because the, you know they they weren't sure where we would be. That's that's I was I was talking with with our friend John who produces um, the Tom Kearney show uh, on a on a break and and John John was saying you know uh, what's it like what's it like trying to book music uh, and it's I told him it's it's sort of like playing a game of darts. But before you get before you get going, you take the dartboard and you move it, you know, swing it from side to side. You you never know what you're going to hit, and you never know exactly where folks are going to their comfort level and whether a, a venue will want to present. So, Morfest um, decided to move to uh, September, which uh, and and they'll they'll hopefully get back on their regular schedule because it's a, it's a, it's a great anchor to springtime. I will tell you that the, uh, the, the cooperation and the community that is built in, in the music world here in North Carolina is, is really wonderful. The Kruger brothers, um, the great acoustic trio, they're from Switzerland, but moved to Merfest hometown of Wilkesboro, the Kruger brothers usually have something called Carolina in the fall on that weekend that Merlefest is going. And the Kruger brothers, they, they announced that they were not going to do a festival so everybody could come and support Merlefest. And I just thought, those guys, those guys are so great. And, and that's what it's going to take, is, is everybody sort of working together uh, and, and we'll get through this. I'm, I've started to play a couple of shows, and uh, and I'm starting to try and book a little bit. So, well, so that's my story. And, and you're sticking to it, right? You've just cleared up something for me. And we, we, one of the things that you and I do reserve the right is to wander around over the, over the landscape of the subject on, you know, on the, when we do it. And that's one thing I enjoy about your coming. Uh, I, you know, I broke my leg, and, and when I was in the, the, the recovery place, one of my therapists was a gentleman who was not a native of North Carolinian, but he wants to be, and his mm -hmm. name is Miguel, 
and he, uh, I think, uh, grew up in Florida, but he was uh, has some Spanish origin and some Italian. But he he will make a wonderful North Carolinian. And he came in one day when he was giving me my therapy, and he said, "Tom, you know about music, North, and and he had heard West Virginia Country Roads, you know, the, the John yeah. Denver song." And he wanted to know if there was a song like that for North Carolina. And I said, well, you know, that, that's, I don't know if that's official or anything, but I'll tell you the one that I think probably most people would pick. And, I, and I'm asking you for your opinion. And, and the reason is I think I asked some other person. I don't think it was you. And they picked a song by the Kruger Brothers called, uh, it was something about October Morn or something like that. Uh, Carolina in the Fall. Carolina in the Fall, Okay. Well, the one that I thought might be uh, an unofficial answer, you know, like Georgia for Ray Charles, would be I'm going to Carolina in my mind. Um, James James Taylor's, uh, gosh, James Taylor's, uh, that that sure does, that that sure does um, uh, stand right up there, too. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, But Carolina in the fall... Um, Uwe, Uwe and um, Jens Kruger, when they came from Switzerland, it was they loved this music and they discovered that they loved the place where the music came from. And so, um, the the uh, the song says, "All the places I have been to, all the things I have seen, since I left my home to wander when I was just fifteen through the." Though the traveling was easy still, sometimes the road got rough. By the time I turned 35, I thought I'd seen enough. But for me to settle down a while was not what God had planned. So one more time, I left my home with a suitcase in my hand. Oh, the journey took me far and wide across the deep blue sea, and now I know I've been there where I was meant to be. And the chorus, I mean, this is this is North Carolina to a T. I've seen sunsets on the ocean. I've seen the desert bloom. I've driven endless highways beneath the prairie moon. Yet the picture in my mind I see when I think about it all is the color of the leaves in Carolina in the fall. Ooh, that's good. That's good. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's an amazing song, and they're they're wonderful guys. And do they, they live in the mountains of North Carolina now, don't they? They, they do. They live in, they live uh, um, in uh, in the town outside the town where Morfest is held in in Wilkesboro. Okay, all right. And we should say, I, I think we should say, because we've got about a minute, and it's about enough time to say that Merrill was Doug Watson's son who was killed in a, in a farming accident, and uh, his father, Doug Watson, is one of the musicians from North Carolina, not the only one, but one, and certainly in traditional music, who would be known worldwide, I think. Wouldn't you say that? Uh, uh, Doc, Doc was uh, not only a, a uh, North Carolina treasure he was a a uh, uh, treasurer around the world and uh he was a great musician and he also taught us how to how to be and he was he was blind from the about the age of uh less than two he he uh, uh, was blind and he made his living playing music and uh, was one of the greatest flat pickers finger pickers and singers that that has ever been and when Merle died um, can I hold? Can I get you to hold that for a minute? Of course. Let this be a radio tease. You'll find out <laughs> what he was going to say right after this. Twenty twenty-one. Distinguished musician, Mr. Joe Newberry, pretty good banjo player, is our guest tonight. Joe, before we go back and 
take up the take up with what you were saying about Merrill Fest. One reason that I invited you that you were on my mind as uh, I, I can't remember if it was the Loving Spoonful or somebody who sang that. Are uh, you there, Joe? I am. Uh, I uh, one of the first things I do every morning. First thing I do every morning is I click my computer on, look at the weather on the weather bureau, and then the next thing is something called the Writer's Almanac. And do you do you know who produces that? Well, is that would be Prairie Home uh, Productions with Mr. Garrison Keeler. Mr. Garrison Keeler, and so I, I listen to you know whose birthday was today, and he usually reads a poem, and then. Because it's on a YouTube channel, there are usually a lot of other selections, you know. That, that ran, and one of them was featuring you yourself on the stage with, with Mr. Keeler. And I know he was uh, fond of your banjo picking and everything, and I, I hope he's well. Sorry that... Uh, he's, doing, he's doing well. We, uh, we still keep in, in contact. and um, uh, Yeah, uh, it, was one, it was one of the... Of the highlights of my um, of of my career um, so far, to be to be a guest on Prairie Home uh, a fair amount in the the last four or five years of the show, and and uh, you know, Garrison then uh, like like singing with me, and he liked he liked my singing, so I was very honored. Well, I I was sitting there and I was watching, and what I was trying to find out, I I'd been planning to go back and look Garrison up. Uh, and uh, but he, uh, what I wanted to remember was the the opening lines to Guy Noir. You know, he's well, he's, he's still searching for the secret to everything or something like that. <laughs> but everyone, I myself am searching for that very same secret, but I'm not on the 19th floor of the whatever building. But you were talking yeah, about Merrill Fest. The 19th floor of the Acme building, that's right. The Acme building. He gets his stuff the same place the Roadrunner does. <laughs> or, or maybe it's Wiley Coyote that he gets it from there. But uh, you were talking about Merrill Fest, and uh, it, it, that has become a not only was Doc a significant uh, person in the in the world of traditional and American music and American culture, but Merrill Fest has become a significant draw. I think it it has succeeded, if, unless I'm mistaken. Absolutely, known it known around the world, um, and it it is it is shined a very bright and well deserved light on. On the music that can be found here, and the and the musicians that come here from all over, uh, Merle was a an amazing slide guitarist uh, on his on uh, all his own, uh, and went out with Doc on the road when he was uh, in his teens, and uh, and stayed on the road with Doc until his uh, tragic and untimely death in uh, uh, nineteen I think it was nineteen eighty five. He passed away. He had a farm accident, and uh, and Doc came close to not wanting to continue. He just uh, the light uh, went out of his musical life, and uh, but um, Doc always said that Merle came to him in a dream and said, "Dad, you you need to play and you need to keep doing this." And so they started a festival to honor um, Merle. Uh, Merle's full for Merle's full name was Eddie Merle Watson. Doc named him uh, after Eddie Arnold and Merle Travis, uh, and so um, they had a, a benefit for Wilkes Community College, the the local community college there in Wilkes County, to benefit. It was a benefit for a memorial garden for the census. Because Doc, being blind, he wanted to let other 
um, blind children or children that um, that um, uh, had disabilities come and experience nature even uh, in in the garden. So there's lots of tactile things. There's lots of sound things. There's it's a it's it's a beautiful garden. And over the years, Tom, it has just become one of the premier festivals in the world. Well, yeah, I'm going to try to do a segue here, and I hope this is all right with you, because I was looking up something that you had led me to, or Tom told me about years ago. That's one of the things. I always learn something when you come. But in 2017, I think, you were at Merrill Fest with the Transatlantic Sessions. I, uh, I high honor on, yes, Jerry Douglas and Allie Bain are the, the co-directors of the Transatlantic Sessions, which is a... It's a it's a musical collaboration that mixes American artists and um, artists from England and Ireland and Scotland and Wales. And uh, the year we did it at Mullfest, usually it's done it's a tour in the UK, but they brought it to Mullfest. And in 2017, it was the the featured singers on the show were uh, it was me and Declan O'Rourke from Ireland and Karen Matheson from Scotland. Sarah Jaros, the great uh, singer and songwriter who was born in Texas. Um, Amora O'Connell, who sang for years with Dedanon, And Mr. James Taylor. And <laughs> Ooh, I, well, I'll tell you what, I like Mr. O'Connell. I'll tell you what, it, for, a, for a little hillbilly boy from, from Missouri uh, to... to Sit there and and uh, get to get to play copper line on the Clawhammer banjo with with James Taylor singing, and getting to sing back up on Sweet Baby James. It was that was uh, that was a that was a good day. It's pretty far uptown, I'd, I'd say. Yes. <laughs> and I got to tell you, Mr. Taylor is as nice and kind and talented as you would ever. It, he played and 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 sang just like you would expect James Taylor to do. Just Beautiful. Well, that's why I think uh, when he comes through, um, he's supposed to have written Carolina, going to Carolina in my mind when he was in Europe recording, and he hadn't been home in a long time. And for our listeners who do not know, James Taylor grew up in Chapel Hill. His father worked at the medical school over there. And uh, if you drive the right way, you can end up on James Taylor Boulevard in Chapel Hill. That's right. And so, that's uh, right. Another claim. Yeah. But but I thought that would be an interesting, and I have enjoyed. I have followed those, the ones that are on YouTube, uh, and have really enjoyed. You know, I'm an Irish Dement fan, and uh, there's one where she sings. And and I was going to tell you this earlier. I collect uh, uh, incidents. Mostly, I have to find them on the computer. But incidents where the the the, 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 the musicians and singers end up doing. Uh, Oh, the nitty-gritty dirt band song, Will the Circle Be Unbroken, you know, mm-hmm. because that's become a thing that you do at the end, and everybody there gets to sing a little piece of it, and so it's, it's kind of an interesting thing to, to do. And uh, But anyway, so I, uh, I uh, uh, and was was doing that this afternoon, and there's a bunch of new ones on there, but if you can get Roy Acuff at somewhere near the beginning, and, and whoever happens to be the hottest thing in country music, uh, now, at the end, you, you will have the circle unbroken. Or some, or Vince Gill, maybe, or somebody like that. Uh, you know what? It is, it is, uh, it's one of those songs that is in so many people's muscle memories that um, 
that it's it it really is it's it's like the Rosetta Stone for for country music because almost everybody knows it. And, and almost everybody you could possibly think of. Uh, I uh, heard a commercial on TV one time, and I found out a musician named John Hyatt. I don't know if you've encountered him anywhere. Yes. But uh, did a thing called Gone. <laughs> it's a commercial, but it's really good. And uh, But he was uh, on one of the, the episodes that I saw today, and some people that I, I didn't even know. And I had asked you the question about Marty Stewart wearing a, an ascot or something around his neck, and you—you you know that has become his trademark. Uh, so, yep. You know, my—I I, wear—I wear a Stetson hat and, and a and a vest and and white shirt uh, to perform in. And Marty likes—he likes those long preacher frocks and uh, and uh, 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 scarf wrapped high around his neck, and that's that's his look. And I—I I don't know. It would be kind of weird to not see him wear it. Well, it was fun. Learning something about him when they had the Ken Burns uh, thing on country music, and you probably know what I'm talking about, is when he was 12 years old, he went to a concert, and Connie Smith was the reigning vocalist that night. She was about 22, and he was about 12, and he declared that she was the prettiest thing he'd ever seen, and he ended, uh, you know, ultimately he ended up marrying her later in life. <laughs> he said, Mama, can I have that camera? And he went and took a picture of her. <laughs> Sitting in her car, and it's like he did. He went home and he said, "I'm going to marry her." And by golly, he did. Well, Marty, Marty is a, he, Marty is one of our um, uh, greatest talents, and he's talented at a lot of things. And he he grew up hard, and he grew up on the road. And but he he has a he has a beautiful heart. And, well, he's, and he's a little bit like being, man. What a player and singer. Well, he's a little bit like. Uh, uh, the guy Green, uh, who's the head of uh, the, the three guys, and I can't think of what they're called now, but he, he's kind of a historian of of uh, of, uh, of blue oh, band. Douglas the Green of the uh, Riders in the Sky. Riders in the Sky, right? Exactly. Yeah. And, and there's some of the people who pay attention to that, you know. And I think Vince Gill has paid a little bit of attention to it. I, and I've noticed that when he talks, he seems to know what he's talking about. And he's had an interesting career because, you know, for the last couple of years, he's been hanging out with the Eagles, uh, took the place of the guy who died. And that's kind of interesting, I think. So, um, it's it's funny. Um, it's funny how um, a lot of people in lots of different areas of music um, have have gone through their bluegrass phase. You know, Travis Tritt, the country singer, is a fairly passable bluegrass banjo player. Hank Williams Jr. played bluegrass banjo. Um, Vince is working with the Eagles. Uh, our friend John Cowan, who um, uh, sang with the New Grass Revival, is the bass player now for the Doobie Brothers when they go out and tour. Interesting, interesting. Pretty cool. Well, I will give you a chance to reload here for the final quarter of the program. We'll take a break. I will tell the world that Joe Newberry is our guest tonight. He is a distinguished musician uh, and songwriter. Uh, I know Sometime near the period when you first appeared with us, you wanted won an award for writing a for writing a song. I think was it when we rise? Was that the one or, or was uh, it, uh, singing as we rise? Yeah, it won, as we rise. won an, uh, a gospel music award. And uh, the question we may, we might address uh, when we come back, uh, it just made me think of it: is the Bluegrass Association's meeting in Raleigh this fall? Will it happen, or how it will happen, and whatever? Uh, but anyway, 
Joe's with us tonight, and we always have a lot of fun talking with him, and I never fail to learn something. Uh, we'll be back in just a couple of minutes. Okay, Joe Newberry, who is the cattle of that's Eddie Arnold, of course. John, we the dog is born. Well, Eddie Arnold, the cattle call. The cattle call. I, I, that was for you. I don't know whether you like that, but I, when I, 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 I figured when I heard it that uh, that you had talked to John to see if he could find Mr. Arnold doing uh, doing the cattle call. Well, you mentioned him when you mentioned Merrill Merrill uh, Watson's name. When I was just a little kid, WPTF had 15 minutes of Eddie Arnold every day at 1 o'clock. Right yeah, after the farm hour. Cowboy. Yeah, and uh, that was that was the theme song of the show. When my grandfather died, I I shed one or two tears thinking about that. And whenever I hear that song, I think of my grandfather. So, uh, but anyway. He's brown as a bird from riding the prairie, and he sings with an old southern No, Texas draw. Yeah. Well, that's when Eddie Arnold was in his country phase, and I, and then of course he got to a point where he went to his pop phase. But my mother just thought he was just the best thing that she'd ever heard. So, uh, oh, he was he was a smooth, great singer, and uh, and, and did did himself well. Now, uh, I guess what I'm I'm more to know about. You mentioned Pinecone a little earlier, and it made me think about. Uh, how people who are, say, new to our part of the world, and I think about these because it, the figures indicate that our population has grown a lot by people who've come from Ohio and Pennsylvania and even as far away as California and so on. If they want to know about things like when is Merrill Fest going to take place or when when something is taking place that may not be local. I know, for instance, if you go to Mount Airy, just about any Saturday you can go to the, there's a theater there where they have a live radio show, as a matter of fact. of The Earl, the Earl Theater. Yeah, uh, yeah. In downtown Mount Airy, uh, and for for the folks who are listening who might not know, Mount Airy was where uh, the great Andy Griffith was from, and so um, Mount Airy uh, it was uh, what Mayberry was based upon. Yes, and uh, the the program that's on, I think it's it's on a I can't remember the colors of the station, but anyway, it claims to be this. After the Grand Ole Opry, the second longest running show on, on radio. I don't, I don't well, that's, know. If that's, that's WPAQ, the voice of the Blue Ridge. Right. So once you get to a certain point, uh, uh, you and the, and the towns like Galax and so on that run right along the Virginia line, or some of them are in Virginia, some of them are in North Carolina, is a place you can hear. Uh, and you mentioned uh, the people who uh, have the stage in Marion, North Carolina, who are on public television. And... Uh, and uh, one of the things I think, I think it's still on. I, I don't get to listen to it very much, but Pinecone uh, sponsored a, uh, a bluegrass show on our sister station, and I believe they still do have it on WQDR. They do the Pinecone bluegrass show with Larry Nixon, and uh, um, uh, I'm blanking on Tim's last name, but he, he, they do it, uh, uh, they've done it every other Sunday, you know, every Sunday night. For years and years and years, and for a long time, uh, I don't know if it still is, but it was the highest-rated show in its time slot. I, I, people love the Pinecone Bluegrass show. It's been on at, at least 30 years. Tim Woodall, yeah. I've, in fact, I've had Tim on, on our program here. And, uh, but it's been on for at least 30 years, I think. And, oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, it's kind of like Barbara Mandrell said, it, 
it had country before country. Well, the country was becoming cool. It just maybe was not quite as cool. And, well, you know, WPTF has a long, long history, as you mentioned, with with country music and and uh, the Monroe Brothers and the the Stanley Brothers and um, lots of lots of great acts uh, would would appear on WPTF early in the morning and go out and play shows and then come back. Yeah, well, it was um, on that tour of uh, of people like Flat and Scruggs who were under you know they were actually employed by. Martha White, and they would go around to different stations and usually stay, I think, about six months, and then they'd move on. And and uh, one of the, the uh, Chet Atkins was associated with one of the bands or groups. I don't, don't know which one, but I can remember one of our older engineers said he used to appear on the show in the morning playing a fiddle, and then he'd come back and, and stay in the studio all day practicing his guitar. The guitar and uh, I guess he came became pretty good at it along the way. So. Uh, he did. Uh, he did. Chester did right well. And you know, to bring it full circle, he was on. Um, he was one of Garrison Keillor's favorite musicians and people. And so, um, uh, uh, Chet Atkins was. Gosh, he was. He was on Prairie Home a lot over the years, and a, and was a great guy. Well, I read an article one time about uh, Garrison going to Nashville and meeting. I think he met with with Chet and maybe. Uh, I'm trying to think of the guy I talked about earlier who was on Merry Go Midday Merry Go Round. But anyway, he sort of distilled the idea of what became Prairie Home Companion when he was relatively young, because that that's the kind of show that in the, the great uh, the great Midwest and out west that people listen to on Saturday night. You know, they mm-hmm. they get the Atwater Kent and plug it into the car battery and sit out in the cornfield in Iowa listening to to WLS in Chicago or. or some like station uh, with with uh, I, I know Buddy Holly is supposed to have listened to uh, the station in Shreveport, Louisiana, KWKH, which uh, broadcast is directionalized, you know, west, and that's the first time place that Elvis Presley was ever on the radio. And so there was there was a lot of good music out there to be heard. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, you know, when Garrison Garrison um, did a morning radio show for years and years in Minneapolis. And then, but all that time he was also writing, and he wrote a piece in the New Yorker in 1974 about the Grand Ole Opry. And you're right, you're exactly right. He started thinking, we don't have a show like this. There's not a show like like what we used to listen to, except for the Grand Ole Opry. And so that's when he started the idea of uh, a Prairie Home Companion. Well, you know, we're we're featuring some country music on WPTF every. Uh, Saturday and Sunday night now from 6 to midnight. And also, I have to say to you, and I always hate to do this, but Mr. Uh, Mr. Newberry, we have to go. What? We have I'm to gonna, go? Yes. Will <laughs> you, you have me back? I will have you back sooner than you expect, and I'm also going to call you after off the air on the telephone. But Joe Newberry, thanks for being with us and wandering across the the, the the landscape of music with us tonight on WPTF. Tomorrow night we're going to talk about movies.